morning, CLC. I've missed you. It's good to be here again. Actually, though, I am the pinch hitter this morning. My son, Stephen, was actually supposed to speak this morning. He was sick last week. I was actually supposed to speak next week, so forgive us. But we are grateful. We're so uh, glad to be here. Let's pray really quick, and then we'll get on to our message. Lord, we just come and we just pray that your Holy Spirit would help us, direct us. We pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase, we pray. And we thank you for what you're going to do this morning. In Christ's name, amen. The colorful 19th century showman and gifted violinist, Niccolo Paganini, He was standing before a packed house, playing through a very difficult piece of music. A full orchestra surrounded him with great support. And suddenly, as he was playing through this most difficult piece, one of the strings of his violin snapped and hung down from his instrument. Tons of perspiration came from his forehead. He frowned, but continued to play improvising beautifully. Well, to the conductor's surprise and everyone else's, as he was playing, a second string broke. And then a third string broke. And now there were three limp strings dangling from Paganini's violin. But the master didn't stop. He continued to play and completed the most difficult composition on the one remaining string. Incredible. Bravo! 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 They all yelled. And as the applause died down, the violinist asked for everybody to to sit back down. Now, there was no way they knew that there was no way they could expect an encore. But they quietly sat back in their seats. And Paganini held up the violin for everybody to see. And he nodded his head at the conductor to begin the encore. And then he turned to the crowd, and with a twinkle in his eye, he shouted, Paganini and one string. Paganini and one string. And after that, he played the encore, and everybody just shook their head in amazement. What an attitude. Dr. Viktor Frankl was a Jew during and who was a prisoner during the Holocaust. Now, this man endured many years of humiliation and scorn and before they finally let him go. Let me tell you a little bit about his story. At the beginning of the ordeal, they took him inside a Gestapo courtroom. His captors took away his home and his family. They took away his freedom, his possessions. They took his watch They took his wedding ring. They shaved his head. They stripped his clothes off his body. They falsely accused him. And there he stood before a German high command. He was a helpless pawn in the hands of brutal, prejudiced men. The man had nothing. Well, that's not necessarily true. Because he suddenly realized that there was one thing that they could not take from him. 
he had the power to choose his own attitude. You see, no matter what they would do to him, regardless what the future would hold, his choice of attitude was his to make. He could choose bitterness or forgiveness. He could choose to give up or go on. He could choose hatred or hope. It boiled down to Victor Frankl and one string. Now, words cannot adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude towards life. Chuck Swindoll said it best. In fact, I heard him say it last week. Life is 10% of what happens to us, 90% of how we respond to it. How else can you explain the incredible feats of athletes? Let me tell you one. Isaiah Thomas. 1988, Game 6, Pistons-Lakers. Lakers are the defending champions. Pistons are up three games to two against the defending champions. The Pistons knew they needed to get this game. And they started playing, and they were ahead, and they were playing. Isaiah was playing a pretty good game. They were in the middle of the third quarter. The Pistons were winning, and, and they were going to keep that what they wanted to do. They didn't want to go to a Game 7. And so he was playing along in the third quarter, and he was scoring, and all of a sudden he sprained his ankle, fell on somebody's foot, and he was in, he was in trouble. They had to help him off. In fact, they had to help him into the locker room. Well, all the Pistons fans and everybody else hung their head, and the lead started to evaporate, evaporate, evaporate. And then suddenly, about ten minutes later, he comes out of the locker room, and he's hobbling. He's limping. He goes to the scorer's table. He gets in the game. He had already scored 14 points. He scored the rest of the quarter. He scored 11 more points. He had 25 points in the third quarter, mainly on one foot. You know, this might shock you, but the single most important decision I think we can make on a daily basis is our choice of attitude. It's more important than our past. It's more important than our education. It's more important than how much money we have, our successes, our failures, our fame, or our pain. You see, our attitude is that single string that will keep us going or cripple our progress. How many know when our attitudes are right? There's no barrier too high. There's no valley too deep. There's no dream too extreme. No challenge too great. But I think we have to admit that most of the time, we spend our time concentrating and fretting over the strings that snap. Those things that can't be changed, rather than giving our attention to the one thing that does remain, our choice of attitude. I mean, think of the things that suck up our, added, our, our attention throughout the day. You know, the tick of the clock, the weather. Is it going to storm again in Santa Cruz? And what's going to happen? People's actions or reactions, especially the criticisms. Are the 49ers going to win today? And we're all tense about that kind of stuff. You know, delays at the airport. Is Southwest ever going to fly again? I know you got the results of an x-ray, the cost of groceries, gasoline, cars, 
Everything from on-the-job irritations to disappointments. And despite what Al Gore has said, the greatest waste of energy in our economically-minded uh, world of the 21st century is not electricity or water. It's the energy we waste fighting the things that we cannot control. And the worst part about that is we are the ones that suffer. Studies prove this out. One of the most famous studies was called the Broken Heart Study. Researched the mortality rate of 4,500 widowers. Within six months after their spouse's death and studies showed that compared with other men the same age, the widowers had a mortality rate of 40% higher. Dave Reaver, famous Christian speaker, who I once heard, he talked about his ordeal and how he was in Vietnam and he had a grenade explode in his hand and half his face was burned and off. And he talked about going into the burn ward. And he talked about there being with 20 individuals in a room. And he said, you know, of the 20 people that were in that room, one survived. It was him. You see, for these people, when the last string snapped, there was nothing left. Now, Paul, who wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, uh, as you well know, because you studied this uh, recently, um, they were a fairly peaceable and happy church. But you see, Paul knew how a bad attitude would affect the church. And he didn't mix words when it came to, to attitudes. So let's read along Philippians um, chapter 2, and I'll make some comments along the way. It says in verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement with being united with Christ, if any comfort in His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one and one of one mind. Now, what does all that mean? Well, there is encouragement in the person of Christ. There is love. There is plenty of fellowship for Christians to enjoy. In fact, heaven is filled with all of these things. So Paul pleads with us to tap into the positive, encouraging storehouses. And you say, well, how do we do that? By being of the same mind. He was telling us, take control of your mind. God has given us the ability to put our minds on things that build up, strengthen, encourage ourselves and others. And Paul says we need to do this. And Paul gets specific in verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition." or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. You see, it's a mental choice, isn't it? It's a decision that we make not to focus in on ourselves. Not on what's mine. We focus in on other people. And of course, you know who our great example is. Look at verses 5 through 8. 
it says in your relationships with one another, have this mindset as Christ Jesus. The same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Now, maybe you've never stopped to think about it, but behind the scenes, okay, behind the scenes, it was an attitude that brought the Savior down to us. He chose to come and live among us. He saw our need, and I love how the Gospel writers talk about how Jesus, when He saw, He was filled with compassion. He placed a greater value on us rather than His own comfort. You might say His attitude saved us. You see, focusing in on Christ's attitude can give us encouragement in our circumstances. Listen to another verse that can save us from heartache by things that weigh us down. It says in verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Another version. Do everything without complaining or arguing. (laughs) You know, if there was ever a generation, if there ever was a person that needed this counsel, it is me. See, it's virtually impossible to complete a day without falling into the trap of grumbling or disputing, complaining or arguing. It's easy to pick up the habit of negative thinking. Well, why? Because there's so many things around us that prompt us to be irritable, isn't it? Someone said it best. Life is not a bed of roses. How many of you heard of Murphy's Laws? We've all heard of those. Things, those inescapable laws of like life that can make us irritable, grumblers, disputers. Let me tell you a few. The chance of the bread falling with the peanut butter and jelly side down is directly proportional to the cost of the carpet. Now, that's true. How about the repairman has never seen a model quite like yours? And you will remember to forget to take out the trash when the truck is usually two doors away. I'm very guilty of that one. Friends come and go, but enemies, they accumulate. (laughs) It's true. And I just think that every item on that list is an attitude assassin. And the sad part is, they are so true that we don't even have to imagine the possibility that they happen. They also happen in Paul's day as well. So positive, encouraging attitude is essential for survival in a world that is saturated with Murphy's Law. Now, if you ask, how can I stay positive when the world all around me seems to be falling apart? Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4 has some great advice here, and I want you to read. It says, 
I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. And then it goes down to, to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be made evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You say, how do I stay positive when all the world around me seems to be falling apart? The answer is in the mind. Our mind can be kept free from anxiety. You know, those strings that snap as we dump our care, our load of care on the Lord through prayer. You see, by getting rid of all the stuff that drags us down, we can have a good attitude. Now, let's think about it for a minute. Think about the circumstances that occur in our lives daily that can crush us. They can originate on the job or the home or during the weekend or when we're relaxing. We immediately have a choice to make. We can give it to God and ask Him to take control or we can roll up our mental sleeves and try to slug it out. If we choose to do what Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Peace will replace panic. But if we choose not to stay positive, we usually go into one or two directions. Sometimes both. We usually go into blame or self-pity. One is aggressive. The other is passive. First of all, we go into the blame mode. We blame ourselves for our situation, our problem. We blame God. We blame others for our unpleasant circumstances. What a waste. We blame ourselves. We multiply our guilt. We decrease our already low self-esteem. If we blame God, we cut off the single source of power that we have. And if we blame others, we enlarge our distance between us and them. We poison the relationship. We settle for something less than God has intended. And worst of all, we find no relief. Someone said it best. Blame, it never affirms. It always assaults. It never restores. It always wounds. It never solves. It always complicates. It never forgets. It always remembers. It never forgives. It always rejects. It never builds up. It always destroys. I think we need to realize that until we stop blaming, we will never be able to enjoy health, happiness again. One psychologist said it best. He says, the one type of person that comes into his office that he considers hopeless, it's the one who always blames other people for his or her problems. I try to tell that to my basketball team. You know, 
Take responsibility. Own your stuff. Own your mess. Because when you do, help is available. But as long as you keep blaming others, you will become a victim the rest of your life. (laughs) The second direction we often take is self-pity. I'm really good at this one. (laughs) It's feeling sorry for ourselves because things have turned against us. We feel like innocent victims in some nuclear mishap. We neither expected it nor deserve it. And to make matters worse, it always happens at the worst possible time. We're too hurt to blame. And our tendency is to curl up in our fetal position and sing the children's songs that the children used to sing. Nobody loves me. Everyone hates me. I think I'm going to eat some worms. This doesn't help anybody. But what can we do when the bottom drops out? Well, this sounds pretty simplistic, but the only thing worth doing is the last thing we often do. Turn it over to God. Because He is a specialist who has never been handed an impossibility that He couldn't handle. Grab your problem by the throat and thrust it upwards. Oh, one of my favorite stories. I might have said this the last time, but still my favorite stories in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 19. Hezekiah. Hezekiah had a problem, and he had every reason to have a bad attitude. The Assyrians were coming, and they were strong. And they were coming after him. And here was this guy trying to do good. He removed the idols from high places. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5 says, in verse 5, it says, There was no one before him or after him like him. Have you ever been there? You're trying to do all the right things. And you have these massive problems. That's where Hezekiah found himself. The Assyrians are coming. They're ready to destroy him. And we read in verse 14 of chapter 19 how he just gave it up to the Lord. He took the letter that was sent to him. And he came and he laid it before the altar. Oh God! Oh God, they're coming. We're going to get destroyed, Lord. And he poured his heart out to God. And he gave it up to to the Lord. Then if you move down and look at verse 35 of that chapter, it says this. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. That's incredible. He didn't do anything. He laid it before the God, and God took took the rest and, and did it himself. It was amazing. And I love how it ends. It says, when the people got up the next morning, there was all these dead bodies. Are you kidding? He did not blame. He did not wallow in self-pity. He chose his attitude. And look at the results. 
It's been said, one of my roommates, his father from Sri Lanka, he talks about Christians don't have problems. They don't. They have opportunities. You see, the world has problems, don't they? Why? Because they don't know Christ. Everything for us is to mold us, to make us into His image. So if our choice of attitude is so important, our minds need to feed and to be fueled on the positive. Philippians 4.8 gives us a good place to start. Listen to what it says. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. (laughs) It's good advice, isn't it? Let your mind dwell on these things. Fix your mind on these six specifics in life. Not on the unreal, far-fetched dreams, but things that are true and real and valid. Not on the cheap, flippant, superficial stuff, but things that are honorable. Not on the unjust, critical, negative things, but things that are right. Not on the carnal, smutty stuff, but things that are pure. Not on things that promote strife, but the lovely. And not on the slanderous gossip put down, but information of good report. Things that build up. And let me ask you this morning, do you do this? Is this what you fill your mind with? You see, the choice is yours. I asked myself last night, is my attitude causing problems to those around me? How about you? I mean, you might be capable, intelligent, qualified, respected for your competence, but is your attitude taking a toll on those around you? Those you live with, you work with? Is your home a battleground? Is there negativism, sarcasm, pressure, cutting remarks, blame? For others, have you allowed self-pity to move under your roof and foolishly surrender mental territory that was once healthy and happy? Are you laughing less and complaining more? Are you one of those ones that have to admit that the one string that you do have is badly out of tune? I want to encourage you this morning to take charge of your mind. Take charge of your emotion. Let your mind feast on the nutritious food of a positive attitude found in God's Word. Refuse to grumble and criticize at your one string, but allow God to play a symphony through you.
We've all heard of the story of Johnny Erickson Todd, if you haven't, okay? She had a broken neck at 17 from a swimming accident. No feelings from her shoulders down. Lots of operations. Broken romance. Death of dreams. No more swimming. No more horseback. No more riding. No more skating. Not even a stroll in the park. Pretty overwhelming. I remember long ago seeing her on a screen in an evening service at church. And I remember that night, here I was angry at my situation in my life. I mean, I thought I had it tough. I mean, I had these three kids and they were young. They were out of control. And, and you know how that goes. And, and I, I just felt I had it tough. I was having trouble in my workplace. There was strife in my life. It just, and, and things were just going the way that I wanted them. Woe is me. And here was this lady in a wheelchair sitting there with every reason to be upset in her lot in life. And here she was. She was radiant. She was vibrant. She was alive. And here I was able to do what I wanted. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And I remember she closed. She sang a song that has become my song. And as she finished her talk, she just started singing. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul. It boiled down to Johnny Erickson and one string. Let's pray together. Lord, there are here so many here today, or there are people here today, and they might feel that they are playing on one string. Their circumstances aren't great. could be on the job. It could be at home. 
Lord, I just come today and we just give you ourselves as we commit. It is not easy, Lord. We need you. We need you to give us perspective. We need you to give us hope. We need you to give us encouragement. And I pray for that this morning. I pray for those who feel overwhelmed in their circumstances. I just ask you, God, that you would enter in. And Lord, we give you all of our cares and concerns. We know, Lord, that you do care for us. We know, Lord, that in any of our situations, you are more than capable to handle it. Lord, I pray that you would help us in those circumstances, that you would play that symphony through us. And Lord, though we are weak, you are strong. We commit ourselves unto 